My mic is running. Seems okay. to be picking up sound. Yeah, mine's good. Yours on too? Yep. Okay. All right, guys. Welcome back. Chad and Sam here. We're going to do a kind of a different format from last week. Last time we did a, uh, a discussion about the current programming. This time we're going to do a little bit of a background on Coach Sam. Um, Sam and I were talking about some ideas for um, content that you guys might want to you know, consume and, and things you might be interested in hearing about. Um, and we just kind of started with us like, hey, maybe the members would like to know a little bit more about the coaches. So, um, and I know, I, I know a lot about Sam. Sam and I talk every week for at least like two hours and it's, it's, maybe it's maybe more. Um, and it very often takes a very, very meandering path, but we learn a lot about each other in the process, but you guys don't get that, that chance. So, um, we're going to basically just talk about Sam um, and his kind of background prior to CrossFit, his CrossFit endeavors, and then kind of what's going, uh, what he's looking towards in the future. So um, with that, my first question for Sam is basically, what, you know, what's your, what, what was your uh, high school slash kind of collegiate background in athletics, but also maybe academics? Things, collegiate. Yeah, <laughs> things, things that you were just, your athletic background. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, I played like every sport as a really little kid, but I found out really fast that I was mediocre once I got to, <laughs> once I got mediocre at best, once I got to high school or middle school, really. Um, I'm an, I was an okay runner. Um, I never really went too far with it. I was also, I also went to Shen, which was, uh, the, uh, you know, they're a powerhouse when it Pretty comes Pretty tough, to, yeah. Yeah, with, with basically every sport. I mean, but track and field and, and cross country especially. Yeah. I mean, they're not... You have to be, you have to be, you know, sub four and a half in a mile. You have to be really moving to be able to be scoring varsity or anything. And I'm not that fast. Oof. I think my fastest mile was like 444 or something. I think yeah, 444 was my fastest. That's still cooking. Like don't don't cut yourself short. Nobody. Yeah, I think any other school I would have been all right. Yeah. But like Shen, no, 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 no way. Not um, many people break sub six, let alone sub five. So yeah. you, you're uh, you're doing you're doing all right. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, and that was only one time and. and um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, never, I, you know, I played every sport, um, you know, through high school, I ran cross country, did track a couple of years. Um, my, my favorite event in track was actually steeplechase. I love that. It was nice. super fun. Um, mostly because you got to like jump. I get so nervous water. watching those. Yeah. YouTube tells me to watch one every now and then and I can't, I can't resist it, but I get so nervous every time they, they kind of like shuffle their feet and get it's ready to jump. Like yeah. they're going to eat it. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't great at steeplechase. I loved it though. It was, it was super fun. Seems fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um. The, uh, we should we should program one for like a workout. We could do it with the boxes across the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you gotta vault the boxes. What, what could go wrong? Well, you should have seen the Spartans last night. Um, I don't know if Tim listened to this, but Tim was doing Tim like Burke. A, yeah, Tim was yeah. doing like a front flip over the uh, the walls outside for yeah. Spartan class. It was quite quite amazing. It's quite impressive. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, we're gonna. This is this is what happens. Yeah. When we're, we're gonna get very a lot of side here. streets. Yeah. yeah. So we have a, we have a timeline. We're gonna try to keep it. We're yeah. gonna try to keep it here. Um, but anyways, uh, so track and field, cross country, uh, primarily a runner. Um, never, never phenomenal at it, but I was okay. Um, you know, I had gotten into CrossFit in high school. Um, uh, so, you know, my CrossFit experience goes all the way back to there. And I- you know, What year did you graduate? 2008, so Eight? Quite, quite a while. So I was at the very beginning stages of CrossFit. Um, my brother, that's actually a funny story. Well, not a funny story, but my brother had found it uh, initially through um, 
it, probably everybody remembers the movie 300. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, yeah. yeah, Mark Twight, the guy who runs a gym called, uh, not, a very, not a very politically correct name, Jim Jones. But his gym was called Jim Jones. and uh, Pretty appropriate when you think about Drink the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah, well, that's actually where Drink the Kool-Aid came from, was right. Jim Jones. Right. Um, uh, so if you ever heard the phrase in the CrossFit world, Drink the Kool-Aid, it's from a guy named Mark Twight who did the training for the, the actors in the movie 300, the movie about the Spartans. You can go look at that video on YouTube today. It's, it it's yeah. still gets me fired up about training. It's great. Yeah, so he was the original one, and, and we, we, we were like, we ended up finding CrossFit through that, or my brother did. It's so funny that that was your like inception story because that was like the first time I ever heard about it. Yeah. I didn't get into it until several years after that, but I kept yeah. com- bumping up against it and being like, "What is this? Like, what are these guys doing? They're they're like kind of like swinging on the pull-up bar. Like yeah. that looks really impressive, but also like I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was like what we did first, and 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 just kind of went from there. And I've always kind of I've always you know, come, come, come on and off CrossFit throughout the past, what is that, like, so that would have been like 2013 years, six, yeah, 15, 15 years, so 2005 was when, oh, from five, from, from five, because without, that's when, 2005, 2006 was when I, when we first found CrossFit, gotcha, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I've always kind of come on and off it from there, um, yeah, so that's like, that's my athletic background, I mean, you know, mediocre athlete, not, not the greatest. I've but you, played. and you've also dabbled since then, since you've gotten to CrossFit, you've dabbled in a lot of different things. So that's not the extent of your athletic background. It's your pre-CrossFit athletic yeah, that background. Yeah, be, that would be like high school and, and collegiate. Not that, yeah. I, not that I ever played in sports in college. But so what did you do after high school? I went to the Navy. Into so, the Navy? So I, I pretended to go to college for a month, realized it wasn't for me. and Which is funny because now you're kind of like perpetually in college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I've got a reason for that too. Yeah. But, um, but uh, we'll talk about that. We can talk about that yeah. later. But um, uh, the um, yeah, I went to college. I pretended to go to college for a month. De- definitely wasn't for me. Um, you know, I ended up joining the Navy. Uh, did some stuff in there, and actually, that was my first real experience with um, uh, uh, coaching. Was when I got to my uh, final duty station, or where I was going to be, where I was stationed. I ended up taking on the role of what they call a command fitness leader. Um, so I ended up running our PT sessions and stuff like that, nice. organizing the training. And actually, one guy who I used to, who I was uh, in the Navy with, uh, Joe Suvia, he also did CrossFit. So him and I were the two people who were in charge of our commands uh, fitness. And, and everybody hated us in the sense that we would make them do really, really terrible workouts. And CrossFit, for lack of a better put it. And yeah. we weren't allowed to call it CrossFit because the Navy, at the time, I don't know if they've relaxed it since then, but they were really very much against CrossFit, which is funny because CrossFit was originally a bunch of Navy SEALs working yeah. out at Blastman's gym in Santa Cruz. Um, yeah, for those that don't know, this is a little bit of a side street, but relevant. Um, a lot of CrossFit came from the the not just the, the um, Navy, but different branches of the military, where people had kind of got wind of, 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 of the dot-com site and would start to kind of like corral a few buddies to do it and like the you know, the army weight room or whatever. And um, there's a really good book. If you guys are interested in, in more of kind of the CrossFit book of Genesis, mm-hmm. it's uh, called Learning L- Learning to Breathe Fire. Yeah. And uh, Greg Amon- Amundsen's thing, or is that? Yeah, he's he's yeah. in it. I don't think he, he contributes his, to it, but it's book. not his book, okay. no. Uh, or maybe it is. Actually, it is. is it? Uh, I, I don't have to fact check that. Mm-hmm. But I, I did read it uh, several years ago. It is kind of like a book of Genesis in that it's a collection of stories about how CrossFit kind of came to be um, with Greg Amundsen, Greg, obviously some Glassman stories, um, Christmas Abbott, 
um, and uh, the guy that started CrossFit Old Town, which I believe was the first East Coast uh, CrossFit gym. Um, there's just a lot of really cool kind of like tribal knowledge of how CrossFit came to be. Um, very different than what we all know CrossFit to be now. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very different. Anyway, but that so you kind of had almost this quintessential like OG CrossFit military experience, which is really the root of, of how it came to be. Shy of going to uh, Santa Cruz and working out in Greg Glassman's gym. Yeah, we, we were um, actually I, we, the rings probably aren't out there anymore, but me and my brother made our own equipment um, growing up because you couldn't buy a lot of stuff. Uh, or if you could buy it, it was really, really cheap. Yeah, Rogue didn't Rogue didn't exist yet. <laughs> Rogue didn't exist. They didn't exist until 2008 or nine, and then they were literally selling jump ropes out of out of their garage. Uh, Bill Bill Henniger's garage was like uh, one T-shirt that they made and a, and a jump rope. And, that was and that's one of the stories in the book is how Rogue came to be. Yeah. Um, J C Hurt uh, just did the, the yeah. fact check here is nice. the guy that wrote it. Greg Amundsen is one of the uh, he's m- mentioned a number of times in there. Oh, one of the stories in there I have to throw out there is. Um, Nicole, Nicole uh, Carroll. Mm-hmm. You guys all probably know Nicole Carroll from her announcement video tips for the Open. Uh, w- one of the greatest stories from that book is the experience of her struggling through the um, Amanda. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it's uh, squat squat snatches and oh no, it might be a different workout. It was it had muscle ups in it. I think it was Amanda. And anyway, it took her like 20 minutes to do. She's like crying at the end, but like just her perseverance and her her work ethic in that was like it gives you goosebumps when you when you kind of learn the backstory of it, and then you go watch that video on YouTube. It's and it's like a it's like a 2006 YouTube video, so it's pretty rough. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, we digress. Um, so in the Navy doing CrossFit. Yep. And. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was like my first real coaching experience. Um, in the Navy. Uh, so how many guys would, were you, did you have like working out with you at once? So we, we were a smaller group, uh, but I mean smaller group in the grand scheme of the military, but we would, um, it depended on who was, who was in, who was in town, so to speak for, uh, at the time, but we would have sessions of either like between like 20 up to 40 people. That would be like the top end. That's a good size class. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's a pretty, pretty group. I mean, it, it doesn't run, you know, it's a far cry from what we do here mm-hmm. um, because it had to be. You know, you have certain guidelines that you have to meet anyways, so you, you have to run it a certain way. Um, and, and by and large, people are autonomous in that stuff. And, yeah. and you're... Um, so you were, like, showing them something, like, hey, let's figure out how yeah. to power clean. Like, here's what it looks like. Yeah. We, let's we, try it. We would never... Like, we never taught the Olympic lifts. We would do, like, a lot of just body weight stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we don't... You don't get the equipment, especially where, where I was stationed in, in... I was over in Groton, Connecticut. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a really wonderful place if you're ever want to go visit it don't go visit it um you go to mystic mystic is really nice it's right next door but anyways we would never teach them how to like power clean we really didn't use weights much we would do a lot it was mostly body weight workouts um and you would do some stuff at the beginning and then you'd have people do go off and do their own thing afterwards if they wanted to lift weights or whatever um you know so that was largely what we would do it's, it's just that kind of stuff um so that yeah. when did you kind of come out of that like what year would that have been so i got out of the navy in 2012 and then that's around when you started at CrossFit Clifton Park? Yeah, so I initially, so um, I remember when I was in high school, I remember when Albany CrossFit opened up. And like I, 2000 and seven, like, 2007 was when they yeah. opened Because they opened up the same year that not many people know about this place. There's one person who knows, and I don't know if he's going to watch this or not, but Jeff Ewing um, knows. And he was actually, Jeff. if you, if you guys know Jeff Ewing, Jeff Ewing, he's, he might hate it if I say this, but he's one of the like, 
OG CrossFit people in this area. Mm. Um, he went to CrossFit Saratoga. Saratoga, yeah. Not CrossFit. Not Feral. Not Feral, not 12866, not Soulshine. He went to CrossFit Saratoga, which is uh, literally out of some guy's garage up in Saratoga, mm. and over in Boston Spa, really. Um, but um, uh, so they opened the same, those two opened the same year. And um, anyway, so I remember CrossFit Albany opening up in 2007, kind of following them and seeing at the time, it was like I was a high school student, I couldn't afford it, whatever. Yeah. So I got out of the Navy, came back, they had multi- they had two locations at that point, Albany CrossFit and CrossFit Clifton Park. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at some point going over to CrossFit Clifton Park and signing up and, and you know, getting, getting that, I think that was my, that was my, that was like my third or fourth gym I belonged to at that point. Cause I'd been in a few gyms in the, in the while well, I was in the Navy too, so. CrossFit gyms or? CrossFit yeah. gyms, yeah. yeah. So, cool. Um, and then you were there for until you basically opened up Round Lake. Yeah, so I was there for I I initially was there as a member for a little bit, and it was it was pretty soon thereafter I started going there as a member that I got my my uh, my CrossFit Level One. Where'd uh, you do your Level One? Uh, Rogue. At Rogue. Uh, at, nice. Yep, at their headquarters in cool. Ohio. Um, that Super was a cool cool, cool experience because I had um, it was nice because if you say if you get it regionally, if you get your Level One regionally, you get the same people as everybody else in that region. So I got I went to Ohio and I got and at the time they were actually sending the the level one staff, the seminar staff to travel. So they didn't have these regional teams anymore or they didn't have the regional teams yet. Yet they had uh, they had just traveling staff and they sent them all over the world. Mm-hmm. And this was when it was like OGs who just were at the CrossFit Games. Right. So I had um, Nadia Shatila who um, you know, a lot of people won't even remember her. You don't really see her anymore. Um, who consequently is actually my brother, was my brother's CrossFit coach for a while over nice. in Seattle. Um, she runs a really cool, or used to run a really cool gym called CrossFit Belltown. They had a whiskey bar in the yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah. I've, Super I've, cool gym. I never worked out there. I, we, when we were in Seattle, I walked by there, and it's, it's a cool, it's a really cool place. Yeah, it's super cool. That's where I did my level two, actually, was at her gym. And, nice. But um, I met Chan. They were one of the first, uh, first, like, ten affiliates, weren't they? Uh, I think, yeah, something like that. They were one of the really early ones. Yeah. Seattle Seattle actually had a quite a few, um, quite a few of the they have one of the first affiliates. I can't remember which, what, what it's called, but they had one. I thought it was Belltown, but maybe it's like. Th- there's a number of them over yeah. there. Um, they're like right there with San Francisco CrossFit, which is shut down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I was at CrossFit Clifton Park for a little bit and then um, uh, ended up opening this gym, uh, you know, several years back, uh, 2015. 15. 2014 yeah. was when we initially started running it and then, um, or, uh, getting into the idea of actually doing it mm-hmm. and then ended up doing it. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think the first time I ever met you, I didn't really even, it was very much just an inter, uh, just crossing paths was mm-hmm. you came over to Gil- our Gilderland location, Vita down, down Gilderland, and you were picking Dean's brain on some programming stuff. Mm-hmm. That was way back. That was like when Dean was still with us, which was 2014, summer of like 2014 time yeah. frame. And, uh, that was the first time you and I kind of crossed paths, but we didn't really get to know each other until uh, we came up for, I think the first time we came to Round Lake was we brought a team to compete in a Toys for Tots. Yeah, that, was um, our, that was December of 2015, the first year we were open. That was, that the, was first the first year you guys were open? That was the first competition we ran. Brian Cloud broke his ankle. <laughs> We, uh, I, I think it was like me, it was Kelsey, he his ankle. He was hurt. Uh, me, Kelsey, Dave, and Jess, mm. uh, Jess Knight, and the, the four of us did that team comp. It was fun. We had, a, we had a blast. It was the first time I ever did a team comp. I think it was actually the first time I did ever did any competition. Yeah. Um, 
it was super super good time. Um, but then the second time we met was for the liftoff. Mm-hmm. Came up here for the the Round Lake liftoff. Uh, I think a year or two later, 16 well, when, or 17. When did you guys do your mock meet? Because you guys did a mock meet down at Gilroy. Yeah, yeah, you was, came down for that. That's we, right. We I, did brought, a, I brought a group of people down there. You brought a bunch of lifters down to the, the mock meet, which was 2016, the summer of 2016. Yeah, that was when Ray was still in. Ray Brunk was Ray still Brunk there. Ray Brunk was there, yep. Yep, that was, a, um, that was a fun little meet. Brett, Brett helped out quite a bit. Yep. Um, yeah, we had a, that was a, that was a great, we had like, I want to say we have like 35, 40 people lift in that meet. Yeah, I see that. I see that picture pop up on my newsfeed every now and then, and, and uh, or those pictures. And there was quite a big, that, yeah. that was quite a big crowd, especially for back then. Yeah, we had about, and we had about ten. I want to say we had about ten or twelve lifters, uh, from from Gilderland, and um, we honestly didn't really expect much. We just kind of casually opened it up to the other right. gyms, and and we're we're amazingly surprised by it but anyway uh and then we came i came up here and competed in the liftoff mm-hmm. that you guys ran which was uh max snatch max clean jerk and yeah. um the, uh the, the six minute the amrap we just did we just repeated recently um and i'm pretty proud of how i did in that i took i was i podiumed in that and i was looking at the list that you said Second. yeah no i was i thought it was third did Jake beat you? I think Jake. It was. It would have been Chris Anderson. Chris and Jake, Jake were and, ahead of me, and then yeah. I think I was third. Yeah, because Jake really crushed the lifts. Actually. Yeah, he yeah. he did, and uh, Chris had us on on Sinclair because his body weight. Sinclair, and then Chris. He smoked the workout. Annihilated too. the workout. He was the only. Hey, one I will. Around. I'm very proud of at least keeping up with him and keeping it respectable. You, you did like 21 burpee box jump overs, which is incredible considering yeah. how far you have to move. And he he finished all 30, right? There was uh, a 25. 25. Okay, he so he was it. only four reps ahead of me, and he got back to the assault he bike. He touched the bike. That's yeah. what he did. He touched the bike. So he was probably like 20 seconds ahead of me. And he, yeah, if yeah. you guys don't know Chris Anderson, one of the nicest guys in the world, um, but also one of the fittest. Uh, what, what's he in now, 40? Yeah, he was. He's, he's a Masters athlete. He's yeah. been to the games as a Masters athlete. Yeah. He's the leanest person I've ever met, yeah. but he's also the, equally as nice. So yeah. um, to even hold a candle to him in that workout was great. He was probably just coasting, but. <laughs> well, I don't know. He looked pretty beat after that. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to give him that one. He looked pretty yeah. beat up. I think that was the first time I ever voluntarily did 50 unbroken thrusters in a yeah. workout just because I, you know, you just don't put it down. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was, I think, the last time, the only time after that I really remember kind of like seeing you prior to us really going down this this crazy past couple of years of 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 combining the gyms and um was you brought Alyssa down you brought Alyssa down to Gilderland to lift in a different environment because she was getting ready for university nationals yep university nationals so and then that um you know anybody here that knows Alyssa and anybody that doesn't know Alyssa uh you need to know her she's uh, equally one of the nicest human beings on the planet and uh, a complete powerhouse mm-hmm. uh, like clean 190 of clean blocks. cleaned 190 off the blocks yesterday at like what's her what's her what's her fighting weight right now probably 55 55, 55 kilos, kilos so, so like 100 uh, that's like 120 20, pounds yeah or so. at like 120 pounds she's clean 190 yeah. so and she's yeah more yeah so uh, th- I, that was my first experience with uh, Alyssa. I'm pretty sure Alyssa like wrote me a thank you card for yeah. like letting me like use the gym. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, who is this girl? This girl is amazing. <laughs> um, and and then from that point on, actually, that's when Ra- Round Lake really started to um, to really start to skyrocket uh, from like 2017 to 2019. Yeah. And then in early 2019. 
there was some kind of fallout that occurred within the community we and go we're not going to get into that <laughs> but you you and i cross paths again and and i essentially said like sam let's let's work together man like we we always anytime we would meet in you know for competitions or whatever we always kind of clicked we we think very yeah. similarly and we had communicated through the uh over the internet quite a bit over through facebook and stuff yeah like just that. stayed in touch just yeah. going back and forth and stuff like that so. yeah i wouldn't say i i you know I, I wouldn't it's not like i was coming up here or anything like that like we would still it's uh well, there's there a few times i remember going down there to lift too. yeah you guys I, came down to lift a couple times up here once or twice i did come up once to lift i don't remember why oh it's, i think it's because i was like selling you barbells or something like i had extra bars or something yeah well yeah it was some it was our it was actually our 15 pound bars we bought those yeah, yeah yeah we've never bought a funny a, Fun, fun fact, we've never bought 15-pound bars new here. We've yeah. always just bought them from Chad. You, you acquired them. Uh, we yeah. acquired them yeah. from Chad. Yeah. Because so we had ten bars. We had ten of them when we first opened. We had ten, and I think we had five 25-pound bars. So we, and then we they, found your, they found their way back to you. They did, yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's really all this has been, it's been about the whole time. The 15-pound technique bars. We acquired Round Lake just so we could get our technique bars back. No, um, no and then in 2019, we, we decided that we we saw uh, we had shared enough kind of vision on on the path forward in the fitness community mm -hmm. and uh felt like we should start working together and you actually started coaching for us down in gilderland before we officially kind of bought round lake right. and uh and then i think it was like first week of june we bought round lake and it was it was finalized you were coaching a little bit at uh saratoga barbell at yeah. that time um up there with with Kevin and some uh, some of his group, yep. um, Kevin and Darren. And Darren, yeah, and uh, and yeah, and then that summer things started to kind of I don't want to say normalize because we were still very much trying to figure out how to run two gyms at once. Right. Um, we we acquired some some people and and then uh, the the pandemic hit. Right. <laughs> and ever since we've been just trying to keep our head above water. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so now the more the more kind of interesting part of this conversation. Um, that I, I want to know more about, and I, I think that the members are going to want to know more too, is, and maybe we didn't really touch on this, but while you've been a CrossFit coach, you've done a lot, not only um, to dabble athletically from doing a triathlon, the ha half Ironman, right? Uh, I've done two half, well, I've, I've attempted, I've done two halves, attempted one, done a full. And I'm, done a full. Done a full. The Lake Placid one? Uh, so I've done Lake Placid half, that was, Lake Placid half, that was a, really fun one and that's 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 a whole nother story and if you know you know um the uh uh um Mont Blanc full yeah um okay. and then i i did syracuse half and then i attempted tupper lake tin man but i um uh i got in the water i this is so tin man's a, the tin man's a funny story because i got in the water I cramped up in the water, um, which had never happened before. And I, I'm a very comfortable. When you say cramp, you mean lungs or legs or what? Uh, calves. Calves. So, like my calf on my right leg cramped right up, seized up. And if you ever had cramps in water before, and like a like foot cramp or a calf cramp in the water, it's abysmal, and you don't want to do anything. It's horrendous. And so it wasn't releasing. I tried to get to release. It wasn't releasing. So I ended up pulling out literally within like the first like two three hundred meters of the race. Mm. I mean, the water was choppy too, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to try to swim this mile, 1.2 miles in choppy and really terrible conditions. And, um, you know, with my leg cramped up, it's not really seeing, I'm not going to try to risk it. So I got out. Um, and then I tried to do the bike and up till that point, the farthest I'd ever ridden a bike, like I literally, so I had gotten this bike. It's the one that's in the office right now. I, I bought the bike off a member, um, Shane Katula, 
Um, and I had got it fitted on Wednesday. Uh, so I'd never ridden a road bike that was fitted for me or had clip-ins before. So I never ever have ridden one before. And I had my race on Saturday, or Saturday, yeah. So I was about to do 56 miles, never having ridden a bike more than maybe 10. Mm. Um, so anyway, so I got out of the water, got on the bike, started riding, uh, totally, totally realized my mistake early on. Um, by like mile 20, I was just dying on it. I finished the, the bike, but totally defeated by the end of it. So yeah. it, was a, it was a horrible race. So that's my attempted half Ironman, the first one I tried. And okay. then I decided to get smart and actually train, train for it, yeah. which was a good idea. Yeah. And um, you know, it, the rest is history from there. I did half Ironman Syracuse, which is horrible. So hot that day, but I did great. Finished. Then we did Matra Blot, which was a phenomenal race. If you ever want to do an Ironman or a half Ironman, I recommend that race. Mm. It is such a good race. Um, is it just because you're you're so far north? It's cooler. No, it's just oh well, yeah, it's sort of that. But it's in August. I mean, it was it wasn't it was we had a perf- near perfect weather day for weather, um, but it was it's just such a good course. Um, you're in you're in a basically a, a ski a village for skiing, so everything's right there. Yeah. Um, I stayed right right at the there's a hotel or a resort at the very top that you can gondola down to the start line nice. so i literally took my i got up in the morning got on the gondola rode it down to the start line started the race right so um but it, that's a phenomenal race uh jeff andritz is doing it this summer here. right this yeah. summer yeah. yeah he's doing it this summer so that's the race he's doing um but yeah and then uh blake placid hat if i did that one 2019 um and I, yeah, that was when we were. That was the summer 2019. Yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. that was the one where I actually like. I'm pretty sure I gave myself some type of adrenal fatigue. And that one, completely. you also decided to do. Didn't you do a Spartan? Yeah, I did the Spartan Ultra Beast the following weekend. The next so I weekend, did <laughs> half Ironman, and this was this was my mistake here. Spartan or half Ironman into. I never. I don't recommend doing this. Uh, half Ironman on a Sunday. Six days later going to Killington to do the Spartan Ultra Beast, which is 34 miles. Well, that one was about 34 miles. Ultra Beast is 34 miles yeah. of trail running and obstacles. Yeah, so you're going, four, it's a, yeah, it was about, uh, this I'm going off people's like watches. I didn't have a watch or anything like that, but people were saying it was about 34, 30, 30, 33 to 35 miles, something like that. Everybody's watch read different. Sure. And then about 14,000 feet of elevation. Yeah, because it's, it's going up and down quite a bit. Yeah, it was like 70 degrees at the bottom and my hat was freezing to the top of my head at the, <laughs> at the summit. So it was, wow. It was it was quite the race. It was fun. So you're you, but you've also competed in weightlifting. Yeah, if you could say that, yeah. Well, you have attempted. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what else? You've dabbled in CrossFit competition. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, you've done the Open every year. You can remember, right? For the most yeah, part. Yeah. Whether or not I've submitted scores, another story. I've done yeah. It. I do. I always do the Open workouts. Um, uh, weightlifting. Yeah. CrossFit competitions. I've done. I've done a few of them. I did. Um, I did one uh, very casually with CrossFit. Like I just go there to have fun with them. I did one a while ago and then um, I think the most recent one was we did one down at CrossFit Spur. They had one, they mm. had like a, um, it was a fundraiser one and we ended up doing it. And um, Alex Grignan was my partner and we actually, we ended up winning it. Um, nice, just uh, casually. Casually, yeah. yeah, it was fun. Good. It was a good competition, so. So uh, the other thing, you know, kind of in process has been your continued emphasis on, on coaching uh, education. And uh, those of you guys that don't know, Sam is one of the few level three CrossFit coaches in the area. Uh, but besides that even, you're very uh, well versed in a lot of other coaching certifications, whether it's CrossFit, 
Um, you've, I know you did kettlebells, CrossFit kettlebells, right? Yep. Um, but you've also done a lot of certs um, and are actually currently in a, in a course that's outside of the kind of CrossFit sanctioned stuff. Um, one for CEUs and two for just getting more experience. Um, do you, you know, I don't know if you want to just give us like the, the, high, the highlights of your kind of coaching education background uh, till, till now and then we can kind of transition into what's, what's ahead. Yeah, so like I've I've always been so I guess the biggest thing that's kind of I've done outside of with, with CrossFit I've done the standard path level one level two and then I got my level three um, and uh, so I've kind of been following that I've been waiting for them to open up the level four yeah uh, and I would got I would have gotten that already if they had it but they haven't so I think they just opened it I gotta look about it and see what it entails but I'll yeah. probably go get that one as soon as I can. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so outside of CrossFit I've done a number of different things I've done. A couple of the CrossFit certifications, kettlebells is one of them. Um, I, actually, I think that's the only other CrossFit certification. Well, I've done. but yeah, and you but you've also done some USA weightlifting. Yeah, right? so outside of CrossFit, um, I've gone through the pipeline in terms of uh, USA weightlifting. So my USA weightlifting cert, I got back probably within six months to a year after I got my level one, um, and then I went on to get my weightlifting level two. Um, and then I ended up uh, earning my national coach in my national coach certification in 2019. Um, and that's merit based. You have to actually coach an athlete to a national level meet. Yeah. So so for the USA for USA national coach, it's changed over the years. But you have to be level one, level two, and then um, there's a there's a athlete per they, they say they were they refer to it as an athlete production requirement, mm. um, and you have to. Uh, you have to send X amount of athletes to these particular meets. And it's not like going to a local meet, you have to send them to a national meet. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, really the only ones that count are uh, uh, nationals, uh, U- university nationals, AO finals, and senior nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, junior nationals as well. Masters, junior, masters nationals. Master, mm-hmm. Masters nationals does not count. Or they, maybe they just changed it. I think they changed it, but the thing with like masters nationals, I remember there was a brief time where they had this, you had to have like 24 athletes well, who you made there. For those that don't know, Masters in weightlifting starts at what, 35? 35, 35 um, Which I think in, it does now in CrossFit too, right? Yeah, so yeah. that that's actually a call out across the board in terms of like uh, Olympic sports. So like the the thing that, the, that's that's pretty simple. So junior is up to what, 18? Ju- Junior's 17 and below. 17 and below, and then 18 to... Or, sorry, sorry, youth is, youth is 17 and below, junior is 18 to 20. 20, okay. 20, and then 21 and beyond is considered senior. And university nationals is up to 25? 25, yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Or no, university is up to 30, excuse me. And then they have U25s, which is under 25 nationals. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that U25 also university, or is that just U25? Under 25. Yeah, okay. 25. Um, so it's a different... It's just another way... I could see I could see USAW getting rid of that at some point because they um, seems like a lot of layers, but it's yeah. it's um they did it in an attempt to open up the floor the competition space to, to for people to get more experience because mm. um, if you've never coached anybody at a national meet before it's a little bit different than coaching at a local meet mm. so they were getting a lot of I know USA weightlifting was getting a lot of people who were um, coming from the CrossFit world and didn't have any experience coaching at a real. Yeah. I'll air quote that a real meet before, and it's, right. again, it's a little different. There's a lot more. Well, lo- more. local meets uh, in general yeah. can be very, we'll call it loosely run. Right, and there's a much more pop and circumstance, and there's a few more rules that you have to abide by yeah. at a national meet yeah. as a coach and as an athlete. So they weren't 
a lot of people are coming in not getting it, so they had to try to figure out a way to bridge that gap. And they did that with the American Open Series now. So Series is is a lot like a low grade national meet now, where people get a lot more experience. So when it comes to weight, uh, weightlifting and in, in, in the grand scheme of things for you. It's definitely an area of focus that it lends itself to teaching groups, teaching CrossFit. Um, the way that you would go about teaching uh, and, 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 and running a weightlifting class isn't necessarily the same as you would teach uh, weightlifting to a group of CrossFitters. But um, would you say that you your kind of bias is towards weightlifting? Like you like to – it seems like you genuinely enjoy – your weightlifting um, kind of participation as a coach um, it's yeah, it's, sure. a, it's almost like you're like your dessert like yeah you're coaching dessert for sure I definitely do um, and uh, really anything that's skill based yeah. I enjoy I would say I would say you could generally you could put a generalization on it and say skill based and weightlifting yeah. weightlifting is very clear cut what the what the goal is right yeah. and you have two you have technically three but really two lifts two competition movements snatch and clean and jerk so it's they're pretty accessible for a lot of for most people right very 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 easy very low barrier to entry Mm -hmm. um but the you don't need like parallel bars or you know the ability to you know like gymnastics for example is a much higher barrier to entry yeah to get to get proficient at gymnastics to to compete in in a gymnastics setting there's a lot that has to happen it's a lot more there's a lot longer run-up whereas in weightlifting um, you could take somebody and have them go to a meet in a week. Yeah. Um, you know, teach them basics of movement, and then have them compete in a week. You wouldn't want to do that, but you could. Yeah. Um, no barrier to entry there. Now you also have uh, your USA Triathlon cert, right? Or yeah. tri- is it track and field or triathlon? Tri- so yeah. So I did a. So following you know the triathlon stuff, we had had a really strong triathlon community here, and I wanted to kind of explore that option because I already got I had explored weightlifting for a while, and I was looking for something different. Just diversification. Yeah, so I got my USA triathlon cert and my um, uh, my USA cycling cert. So mm-hmm. I'm USA T and USA cycling um, certified, and I did that. That was actually a really cool seminar because I it was one of the few one of the few that they run. They run these every year, but they run a very few of them where it's a it's a uh, tandem certification because cycling is a huge part of triathlon. Mm-hmm. Sure. So they, I went out to Colorado Springs to the to the to the um, headquarters there. This is the summer before the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah 2019. 2019. Yeah. So I went out there for for my USA Triathlon USA Cycling Cert. So it was really good. Um, got to work with a lot of the people, um, you know, a lot of the high level cyclists, high level uh, triathlon coaches, um, and just triathletes in general for for a good uh, good few three days there, and um, went through all that stuff and got that certification as well that was probably one of the that was probably one of the better certifications i've been to that's just like a weekend course um, that was a lot of fun that was a really good one and it's colorado and it's colorado yeah. <laughs> too so and i had a jeep it was a really nice jeep nice so, yeah. um so since then obviously the pandemic has gotten in the way a little bit of our with our kind of coaching continuing ed there's been some online options and, and whatnot but you're doing a, you're actually doing a course right now yeah. that is very kind of unconventional in the I would say in the, at least in the US um, and in the more specifically in the CrossFit space um, tell, tell us a little bit about that and you know kind of what what's what you're what you've learned so far because yeah. you're it's 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 currently in in process yeah so You're what four weeks in five weeks in yeah four weeks in this yeah. will be the fourth week out of ten. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, you have it's bookended by like two open weeks, so it's really fourteen weeks, but it's like the the core material is ten weeks long. 
so where you're working with people. Um, so yeah, so the course the course that I'm in right now um, is uh, uh, so it's it's hard to explain because this stuff is it, it's definitely it's definitely more of like a, a higher level sports science course. Um, there's a lot of biomechanics stuff that you could consider that in there. Um, coaching approaches, training approaches. Um, there's a lot to it. Uh, the, the general idea is that it's 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 um, looking at looking at movement and how movement is uh, structured and how we how our brain structure movement how our body structure movement in a very different way. Mm. Um, it's it's uh, if you're familiar with dynamic systems or, or systems theory, it takes movement theory and uh, uh, the the approach to skill development uh, and combines those two. Mm. So it's very much a, a um, very much in that vein. Um, I'm, I've, there's two books that I've read on this already from the guy who's running the course. Uh, and the guy who's running the course, his name is Franz Bosch. I'll put his name out there and you should look it up. Um, he is, uh, he's very, very well credentialed, um, very, very uh, well, well respected in, in the greater community. Um, and then the other guy who's part of this course, his name is Tune. I'm not even gonna try to say his last name, they're Dutch. Um, Franz Bosch is pretty easy. The other guy named Toon, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. It's like Tolman, Tolmanson, and I'm butchering that. I know I am. But um, anyway, so they, they're very well respected in it. Toon is part of the Dutch Olympic Performance Committee or whatever. He's the guy who heads that and, and organizes all their Olympic teams and athletes in terms of their training. Franz Bosch has worked with countless teams. You can go on his website and look at all the teams that he's worked with. Uh, you know, from rugby, football, baseball, basically any athletic, any athletic uh, program, he's probably worked with it in some capacity. But anyway, so the course itself is, is um, has me working with three other guys from around the world. I'm working with a guy in Germany who's Australian, but he's in Germany. A guy in Kuwait, um, and then a guy in Melbourne. Uh, and the, the four of us kind of work together. We get a problem, and we have to assess movement uh, of. You know, we have to assess the movement of the person, design exercises that can fix the problem, and then explain how we'd apply it. There's a lot more to that. Um, if everyone wants to talk to me about it, sit down and we can talk for like yeah. three hours on this. <laughs> uh, we've, to put it in perspective, the four of us, this last uh, module, we spent about seven or eight hours analyzing a four-second clip of an AFL game, an AFL's rugby, uh, Australian Football League. Hmm. Uh, we spent about seven or eight hours analyzing a four second clip. Um, so that's like the depth at which we're breaking things down. We're going down to the nitty gritty of tendon, you know, force sharing, shearing across what joint, um, really, really in depth stuff and, and fascinating stuff if you're, if you're. An, an, if you're into biomechanics. If you're into yeah. biomechanics. Yeah. Um, the way that that scales up though, cause that sounds, that's a lot of detail. The way that scales up is there's some really key principles that we, we cover in this and we talk about that are, that are counterintuitive and contra, uh, contradictory to the current paradigms in, in sports science and, and, and the, prevailing, the prevailing authorities that be, right? Um, so it's very, very interesting to me in that there's this whole group of people who have a whole nother mindset about how to approach movement and train people. Um, so that's what kind of drew me in in the first place and why I started exploring it. And it sounded like, based on scratching the surface with you last week on this, it was more about like, um, just to try to regurgitate that concept, is like, not over constraining and allowing the body to kind of find its solu the solution to the mechanical problem on its own. 
Yeah. Um, and, and then as opposed to like a more conventional, like linear path to the proper biomechanical way right. that you think from the coach's eye is right. Yeah. Uh, it's more about like letting the, the athlete kind of the bo- athlete's body figure itself out mm-hmm. almost because your, your, your body in and of itself has some like artificial intelligence biomechanically that it can, it can, it can hone. Yeah. So, I mean, your body, your body evolved to kind of figure itself out. Right. right? I mean, nobody, nobody was teaching cavemen how to snatch or, you right. know, pick up a heavy rock. Or even just squat. Yeah. Right. So how did they figure that out? Yeah. You know, how did they, you know, we taught the caveman how to squat. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the more recent studies that they, they cited in, in one of the lectures was, um, you know, uh, you have these two ideas of, um, uh, uh, these two these two concepts that they were studying in it uh, practice versus retention mm. um, and uh, uh, you know so what they did was they took two models and they said okay you guys are going to I'm generalizing the study one one group you're going to be told exactly how to do this exercise and we're going to walk you through it we're going to walk you through it step by step and then this other group they said okay we're not going to we're going to we're going to we have these exercises that require minimal verbal cueing minimal showing of how to do it we're going to let you figure it. We're going to let you figure out the exercise by seeing it um, and performing the, these these exercises that we give you. And what they found was that the group that the group that um, uh, and this study's been repeated, I know for uh, a number of occasions. I've seen it elsewhere too. But the um, the group where they they structure them and they tell them, hey, you need to be at exactly this angle and you need to be here in a session, like a forty-five minute or an hour session. They do incredibly well and they perform the movement very very well. But if you have them come back in a week and you have them try to perform it again, their performance in that movement is abysmal. Hmm. Whereas the group that you just let solve on your own, on their own, their practice that day is horrendous. But their retention when they come back later and do it hmm. massively outperforms the practice group. Interesting. Um, so basically, what it's what I mean, I'm sure you've all experienced this, where you where you practice something or you're doing something at the gym or wherever, any type of skill, and you're doing terrible at it. And you come back like a week later and you're like, oh my God, I understand how to do this. I can yep. do it. And you're like markedly better than what you were before. Um, and that's what that study kind of gets at the heart of. And this is one of the things that this, this model and this concept is kind of getting at that, that you know, the best way to improve a high skill or a high intensity movement like jumping, like snatching, like throwing a ball is not necessarily getting the exact step-by-step process and the exact angles that you need to be at in exact positions. It's allowing the body to figure it out for itself. Right. The body is going to optimize to the best solution. Yeah, because everybody's joint joints and anatomy, lever, lever arms, musculature is completely uniform or completely independent. So, like, uh, the you're better off letting the body figure it out. Yeah, and one one of the big things that they talk about is this problem called the degrees of freedom problem, um, and um, I'm sure this is pops up in engineering stuff and you might be able to speak to that better but um degrees of freedom problem would be would and this is the way that they kind of summarize it is that if you look at your shoulder your shoulder can if generally it can it can you know abduct it can adduct it can flex it can extend right um it can circumduct it has all these degrees of freedom so your your brain has to control all those right and that's just one joint and then now you think about the shoulder joint it has three joints actually it can do all those things. So now it's got to manipulate the AC joint, the scap in the back, and the, the joint between the, sh- uh, the arm and the, the, uh, the shoulder, right? The, um, between a humeral joint there. And then to do an actual movement to make actual productive work, it's also got to control the elbow, 
and the wrist and then all the fingers as well. So the amount of control that your brain has to have is massive. You gotta multiply all the way down those, those numbers, right? So it has to account for all those things. So how does it do that? It can't. So your body solves the solution as it goes down. There's a lot of sub control um, elements to the way the body does things. Um, you know, you could design a, you know, anybody who's ever worked in robotics or done anything like that, trying to solve that problem is very, very hard. Yeah. So it's a reason, it's a reason why robotics has been such a slowly developing uh, industry, right? right? So, so that's, that's one of the big concepts that they'll talk about is how does your brain, how does central control the brain, mm -hmm. right? Manipulate the body. And it mm -hmm. does, the brain doesn't control a lot of your actions. Right. Well, it's like anytime you try to teach somebody newer how to snatch, the big, the first reaction they'll give you is, man, it's too much to think about. It's like, because you really can't think about it at all. You can only really think about one thing at best. And even then, you're not able to really think about it while you're doing it because everything happens so fast. Right. And this yeah. is this is something that, that I think has been talked about a lot in coaching. And this, this is kind of a scientific basis for something that has been known in coaching for a long time and that intention matters. Mm -hmm. In that it's not so much understanding the movement specifically it's like what do you intend to do you know you'll hear in baseball or, or any throwing sport you like finish through the throw and, and point point where you want the ball to go you'll hear right. that simple cue and it's like that's your intention you want the ball to go there so point there right, right. don't think about what has to happen you're giving the, the body the directive you're not telling the body yep. how to do it you're yeah. letting the body do it yeah, yeah. And, which and, kind of kind of uh tailors to genetics and general athleticism and people that kind of have it yep. their bodies are just faster at figuring it out right yeah. and, and some, something we could talk for hours about this i just i watched like an hour and 15 minute lecture from these guys last night and this was one of the coolest things that i heard in it i'm gonna i'm gonna talk a little bit about this for a second but but um the uh one of the coolest things i heard in it was was how um so you you look around and um and i had said something like this to you a while ago um, about we never really think about how we get from point A to point B, mm -hmm. right? And when you look around and how much of your, how much of the surface that you're standing on or walking on a daily basis is completely flat, right? It's completely flat. There's no variability in it. There's no, yeah. your body has to do almost minimal work to get from point A to point B. And yeah, your house, your home, your house floor is pretty flat. Your gym floor is very flat. And then if you're going, if you have to go up an elevation, we have stairs. Stairs, and flat it's stairs. Very, yeah. It's flat and it's very consistent, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that this kind of leads to is that you have kids who grow up in an environment that are very, it's very uh, uh, devoid of variation. Mm -hmm. And they're never really trained to, to deal with a variation in movement. And then years down the road, they end up getting on, on a football pitch or a, or, or a, Well, even or, those are flat too, right? Where even those yeah. are flat. And their body isn't, isn't used to handling variation yeah. in high intensity motion and stuff like that. And you see, ACL tears and things like that. There's a whole host of other things that go along with that, and I'm dumbing down a really complicated and really involved conversation. But if you go back and you look at, you know, like uh, how things used to be, there was no manicured things that people walked over. So right. they were they were constantly having to adjust and shift their weight and change how they move. So there was a lot more strength in how they walked. There was right. a lot more variability in what they had to do to get from point A to point B. Um, and so that's part of this conversation too. It's like, how can you build more robust people? And how can you build more robust athletes in the context that we're talking about at least as athletes? Yeah, and, and a simple kind of application of that is like hike, mm -hmm. you know, go hiking um, either 20 minutes on the weekend or, you know, 20 minutes on a, a you know weekday evening or, you know, a couple hours on a weekend, like go hiking. Um, I have have anecdotal experience with people that have 
knee pain that start to hike and suddenly the knee pain goes away because now they're introducing all sorts of variation mm -hmm. to kind of bring more awareness to their right. movement patterns and the body figures it out yeah you know so i'll make my plug for cross country because i'll cross country running so mm -hmm. i will i will say the reason why i can run a marathon in in no bowls is because i ran cross country and i was i was in the woods jumping around roots and running over things and having to shift my weight in mm -hmm. weird ways that you don't get from track and field that you don't get from running on the road right um and so the, i feel the reason why i have such a robust you know foot ankle knee is because of what i did when i was growing up very relevant um anecdote here i was just ran my first half marathon last weekend two weekends ago uh and yeah, two, weekends ago. two weeks two weeks ago now um, and a bunch of people from Round Lake did it too. Um, Zephyr was one of them. Zephyr, had, he did the Ultra Beast with you guys back in yep. 2019. He well, does. He didn't do it with us. He carried us. He carried you guys. He yeah, threw I remember. Me on that. his back yeah. and carried me up the mountain. And then, he, but he does a lot of Spartan work and a lot of trail running. And he did this. Uh, he did this half. He said he felt really good about it, um, doing it. He said he felt pretty good doing it. He felt like he had the go, he had the push, especially at the end. He had he had gas left in the tank that he could push on. Um, but one of the comments he made was, and I'm paraphrasing here, was just that the the repetitive, you know, kind of pounding mm -hmm. and um, you know almost like physical monotony of it of the half was was the hardest thing for him to deal with. You know, mm -hmm. um, from a stimulus standpoint, um, and it's because he's so much more used to dipping and dodging and, and you know kind of having to having to figure it out on the trail when you suddenly do that on have to do that on the road and you take all that uncertainty out of the equation mm -hmm. um repeatability is not necessarily a good thing mm -hmm. because and we've had discussions about this before with movement yep. there's no there are very few movements that are bad for you to do mm -hmm. but almost any movement that you do too much of is going to be bad for you yeah right so that's why variance and you know in the crossfit world we subscribe to constantly varied that's why we believe very strongly in one of the key elements of the crossfit model mm -hmm. which is constantly varied like right. the work the movements the nature of which we, and we could even be better mm -hmm. like i hate to say this but jillian michaels is a little bit right we do resort to a lot of the same movements from week to week, you see hands. I know, and, 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 and I and I say that with a very, very, very uh, cautious tone because um, the the greater sentiment of what she's saying is wrong. But we do come back to things like handstand push-ups and toes to bar because those are kind of like um, uh, I, I don't know. Those are milestone like movements that people like to get better at, um, and they do need some linear progression to get better at them right. uh, relatively in a relatively. Uh, orderly way right. without risking injury as much so but you'll notice I mean like what we did last week or Friday sorry no Monday this week yeah. when we had the wild ass movements of the banded kettlebell yeah. press and the single arm pull up and the windmill those are not unconventional movements and th those are true variants when it comes to um, you know mixing up what we do on a day-to-day -day basis we could have just done a regular kettlebell press or, right. or dumbbell press um, but the variance that your body experienced and what you had to go through to figure that out is really good for your overall uh, mechanics and orthopedic health. Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And that's 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 the goal. Like I, you know, um, I have I, a lot of you have heard me say this before that I have a lot of grievances in terms of like the way CrossFit does things. Um, 
but at the same time, I CrossFit is the best model, in my opinion, out there for bringing uh, this type of fitness and this type of training to a large to the masses to yeah. a group of people. Um, it's 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 the best model, in my opinion. There are more optimal ways to train people on an individual or even small group basis, yeah. but that's not really what we kind of traffic in as much, right? And We're, it's not it's not scalable. Yeah. It's not. It doesn't. It makes it if you're only working on an individual model, it's not accessible. Yeah, um, right. Because there are only so many coaches to go around. There's only so many yeah. coaches to go around. There's only, and I know from working with 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 athletes in terms of weightlifting and triathlon, there's only so many athletes that you can. You can you can handle at once, yeah. and when you're dealing one on one, that's really what you're doing. You're working with an athlete. You're working with an individual because the amount of detail that you get, you have to put into that person. Yeah. And CrossFit is the best model for that. And you know, not not trying to make this a sales pitch about CrossFit, but CrossFit has those elements. And this this course that I'm taking right now, um, when I first read this guy's books, Franz Bosch's books, um, uh, it was uh, it was like a light bulb moment because CrossFit had always kind of. CrossFit claims to be uh, backed by science, and to some degree they are, but they do a horrendous job at like citing where they get their stuff from, right? Greg Glassman just kind of read some books and was like, yeah, this looks like science, I'm gonna throw it in a book together. And, yeah. and he never really says where he got it from. And, and I'm not saying that what he, what he put in there is wrong, because it is right, there is a scientific backing for a lot of things he says, but there's some elements of it that never really had that buy-in from the exercise science sports physio community before well, and a lot of them are presented in a very objective way too yeah and, and a very, yeah in a very subjective way is how he how he puts these things and and um and uh this these books that Franz Bosch started putting out coming at it from a systems theory point of view uh you know um uh, uh for lack of a better put it a, a chaos theory point of view where chaos rules variety rules right mm -hmm. this is the crossfit model and this yeah. is the scientific basis for it and, and, and he really presents it in a way that makes sense to me and explains a lot of the things that CrossFit presented years ago. And CrossFit, it's not new. What CrossFit presents is not new. These things, these things have been known for a while. But it's just now that the science is catching up with these concepts. Um, and, and the application and delivery of it in a group setting is really the novel part about CrossFit, right? Yeah, and that's the novel. The concepts that CrossFit bases themselves on are not novel. They've been around forever. I can show you books from the 70s and 80s that have the same exact workouts that we're doing now. It's just... Um, CrossFit branded it and packaged it in a way that's very consumable by everybody. Mm -hmm. The practitioners who actually teach also created a system numbers. to train people and to right. get get to make it even more scalable. Right, you can't you can't you can't teach everybody like you do the tip of the spear. Yeah, um, you know the athlete that's going to the Olympics needs something. It's like Greg Glassman's got a great great quote about it. Uh, um, you know the the needs of the the needs of the dip, the needs of the Olympian and the grandma differ by differ by uh, you know uh, what does he say. They vary in, um, very, very in, um, I, forget exactly. I know what you're, quote you're talking something about. In, it's, yeah. Anyways, it's a really good quote. If you look it up, you just look up Greg Glassman, Olympian. It's degree, not in, yeah, degree, they, not in kind. Yeah. They vary in degree, not in kind. So the needs are similar, but they just, they are in different, different degrees. Right? Different degrees, yeah. Um, so the Olympian cleans, you know, 400 pounds. The, the grandma cleans a 15 pound bar. Yeah. Right. So, um, they and can both, both do the movement. Uh, yeah. They both should be doing the movement, the variation, but they, they need to do it in a different Well, and another source of, of uh, constantly varied in its application and its legitimacy is uh, if you look at like uh, Louis Simmons at uh, Westside Barbell, the Westside method is very dependent upon week-to-week -week variation in what they're maxing out on. And they right. max out on uh, almost a different lift every week, right? right. And, that like, and, that, and because of that, they're able to mean it comes back to that principle I just mentioned, like, Squatting is not bad for you. Mm -hmm. Squatting too much, too often is bad for you. 
right? Frequency and volume of squatting is too much. Right. Yeah, and Louis, Louis Simmons got his stuff from the, the, the Russians, and the Russians, um, uh, the Russians are like the, you know, they're like, they're, they're the guys for yeah. sports science and exercise right. science. Right. Um, which is funny because <laughs> that's a whole nother ball of wax, and we don't have time to get into it right yeah. now because. Um, we, we were, we well, let's take it. Let's just let's take the because uh, where you're headed is actually where in this conversation is actually where we're headed. I think mm-hmm. from a um, kind of overall impact, like mm-hmm. the thing that we all should be asking ourselves is what 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 are what are we bringing to the world? What what are we offering up to help the problems uh, that are at hand? And I think um, you know COVID has highlighted a lot of things um, in not only uh, society, but also the medical system. Um, and one of the things that we've talked a lot about is how do we move towards a more medically oriented establishment that can help people that are coming from, like, let's say a doctor who says, listen, you need to get on some sort of fitness protocol to, to change kind of the nature of your life and the course of your health over time. Because right now, the doctors are just gonna tell you, you need to start exercising. Mm-hmm. And it stops there, right? And then it's on the individual to go decide, to go figure out what is what are my options, what should I do? And generally, most people just go choose the thing that they dislike the least, right? right? Like, oh, I, I don't mind running, I'll start running. Or I wanna walk, or I'm gonna swim, or maybe I'll try this crazy thing called CrossFit and that's like a 5% uh, at most of the population that's willing to come to that conclusion. Um, but the idea that we've been talking a lot about is like, how do we bridge the gap and be part of the kind of the, the wellness solution to the main kind of problem here? Um, and a lot of people in CrossFit, and you, you and I talked a bit about this beforehand, Kind of hang the current CrossFit model on a pedestal as the the way, the way to fix the problem. And the truth of the matter is, CrossFit is not for everybody. And I'll, I 100% believe that anybody can do it, but it is not for everybody. Um, I know that's kind of sounds like an, uh, a contradiction, but um, the idea that we're trying to kind of move towards is understanding the bigger scope of the problem. And this is where your education is headed, more towards public health, right? Like from a policy standpoint, how do we incentivize and how do we create structure to reward this kind of behavior, this kind of these kind of decisions so that the system doesn't get as bogged down with 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 sickness as it currently is. Um, And so you're actually you're right now you're going to school, but you have plans for even more school. So tell us tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so so I'm in school right now. I'm, I originally started going back to school um, uh, back in 2019, mm-hmm. um, right around that time, and uh, fall fall 2019, uh, and with the goal of of uh, work starting to to move my move the needle in terms of what I know from here towards public health and and community health and things of that nature, and, and that's still the goal. And um, so I started going to school for that. I go to SUNY Empire. Um, if anybody's looking for a great school to go to, go to SUNY Empire. It's very very, very accommodating, uh, especially towards people who are in the workforce or looking to uh, uh, further their education in some way, shape, or form, or change education paths. But anyway, so I was going, started going to school there for, for um, uh, community health, public health. You can generally summarize it as that. Um, picked up a lot of things along the way that, that I knew anecdotally or knew just in passing from reading the news, reading articles, 
but really, really has been a deep dive in, in a lot of the problems and how, and how deep they really are in terms of our society and stuff like that. Um, the majority of my course load that I've taken has been in sociology, psychology, um, and then policy. Um, so really dealing with the human element of, of the, of the, um, of the healthcare issue. Because yeah. prior to this, I had done a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff with anatomy and physiology. We didn't mention this earlier, but I, I have my license in massage therapy. I went and did that. Um, uh, and even before that, I was on, even before that, when I initially got out of the Navy, I was on track for, I, I, my, my plan was to go to school for uh, physical therapy. So I was, in, yep. I was taking a bunch of courses in that. Thing. And LMT is, 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 is a pretty rigorous thing to go through too. Um, it's yeah. not something that a lot of people are, are willing to, to go through, um, uh, especially while they're doing you know, something else, while they're working, right? Yeah, so I, I figured I have the micro side of things, the individualist side of things, and the, the biological side of things, so to speak. Let's, let's look at how, how these things can apply in a, in a greater scope, and in, in the greater scope, and the greater scheme of things, and how that can benefit people at the policy level. And um, uh, so anyway, so I started going to school for that, um, you know, working, working on different things, uh, you know, developing my ideas about how things should look based off my my, my background and and um, at this point I'm looking I'm you know I started looking at grad schools going you know talking to, to MPH programs or Master of Public Health programs um, looking to get into those those type of programs talked with many many different schools about their programs and awesome there's some great ones U Albany is a great program they have a lot of good things um, but somewhere somewhere along the way I came across the idea of, of doing a uh, 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 MD so medical doctor and an MPH. So the, the, the fact of the matter is is that there's not a lot of people who can bridge the gap between what's done on the practical side of things and what's done behind a desk. Mm. And for, there's, for policy sake. Right, for policy sake, economic sake, there's not a lot of people who do that. Yeah. There's, you know, policy, policy wonks and, and medical doctors don't ever cross paths. Right. People who understand the economics and the soci sociological impact of it are not really conversing with the doctor who's in the ER seeing the person who's in diabetic shock, right? So there's very few people who cross that line. Um, and the ones that do are, you know, out there trying to do the best they can, but they don't have a very loud voice. Because right. there's not a lot of them. So, you know, my... my, my and how many of them come into that situation, the ones that do exist, mm -hmm. come into that, that seat with... A, a lot of practical real world experience in the health spectrum. Yeah, and, and so that's my question. And a lot of a lot of stuff that I've been learning and, and you know figuring out along the way has kind of guided me and directed me in this. And if anybody knows more about this or knows things about this, please come talk to me because I want to hear because I'm just get, I'm pushing towards this and this is where I want to go with it. And I want to hear if you work as a practice healthcare practitioner and you know stuff about this or you have experience in the public health realm or you don't, but you have ideas about it, come talk to me about it, because this is what I want to do and this is what I want to hear. Anyways, long story short, like uh, that's the next step for me, is finishing out this, this, this program that I'm in right now to, to look at public health and, and community health as an undergrad, and then go into uh, MD, MPH, uh, Medical Doctor and Master of Public Health. Finding, bridging that gap, trying to bridge that gap between policy and actual healthcare not just what's written down in a book or paper somewhere. So like I said up front, for the, for the guy who didn't like school. <laughs> well, okay, so it's not that I don't like school. Here's the thing, is I, it's not that I don't like school. I, I like learning. I have a real problem with institutions. Mm. And, and, and so, so 
I will not name names here, uh, but I, I recently reached out to an institution to inquire about their program, uh, and I was promptly told that you have to matriculate before we'll even talk to you. Hmm. Um, and I do not like that institutionalized elitist mentality. Yeah. And I do not like standardized approaches to education. Yeah, a lot of, and that's a lot of that is part of the problem, right? <laughs> right. We won't talk to you because you're not part of us yet. Yeah. You yeah. haven't you haven't done it yet. It's a pay to play scenario. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, that is I, I I circled my way around and came in the back door and got what I needed from that institution. Yeah. I, I went behind that person who told me that and Good. figured it out. So yeah, so anyways, I don't enjoy that and that's why I do not like uh, that, that, that but you're you're definitely. It seems like this is this this is true to who you who you are and what you want to do in the sense of continuing education and being part of a bigger solving a bigger problem. Right. It's a daunting problem, and it's one that you and I have had a lot of frustrating conversations about the implications of having any any real making any real progress in. It's a real daunting place to try to make a living and, and not just not, not make a living, but have a real impact. Right. Right. Um, because there's, you're kind of fighting a lot of that institutional attitude, right? Yeah, um, certainly. But uh, the the reason why this is cool is because now all these people know that, and hopefully, you know, a couple of them are going to come to you and say, like, "Hey, uh, here's 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 an idea," or "Hey, maybe you should talk to this person." Like, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is to just kind of get that th get these discussions going, and to inform you guys, uh, the members, that our our coaches do are doing a lot more behind the scenes than just writing workouts, which Sam happens to do. Sam does write the programming. He and I usually meet on it uh, every week to go over mm -hmm. some cliff notes. And I'm usually trying to like, uh, kind of, I'm usually trying to like make a case for like, hey, let's put some muscle ups in over here. Or let's put some yeah, handstand push ups in. Yeah. We haven't done ring muscle ups. We while. do need to put some some ring in. Oh, we did bar two weeks ago. I do bar more because bar is, I think, more accessible. To it me. is. It is more accessible, and the scaling kind of makes more sense. But Wait, rings uh, are hard to scale. Ring, rings yeah. are a pain to scale. Hey, we've had tons of toes to bar, so I have no complaints on toes to bar. I like toes to bar. Uh, yeah. So so Sam yeah, does. Yeah. So it's good to you for you guys to know that you know Sam doing the programming. Um, with this huge subset of, of experience in not only CrossFit, but also different sports, uh, different strength and conditioning sports, and also this kind of greater perspective on um, an agenda moving towards public health that makes for a really dangerous, in a good way, really dangerous skill set to be writing a, G a group GPP program because he's considering a lot of things when putting these workouts up for you guys. It's, it's not as, um, it's not as easy as you think. A lot of people think it's just like, Hey, just pick some stuff and throw it on paper and let's go. But, um, I, and I, and I trust that Sam takes more care writing the programming than I would warrant anybody that I know has the ability to do. Um, so I think you guys should take a lot of, uh, comfort and pride in that. And that that's, that's what you guys are getting. Um, and hopefully reaping the rewards and the benefits from it, not just now, but many years to come. Mm. Um, we w blew through our time limit here, but uh, yeah, we, we knew that. We were, we were, I was hoping we would keep it. We said, what did you say, 45 minutes? We're over an hour now. Okay. I think we were about 20 minutes per, like pre pre-CrossFit, CrossFit, and then post-CrossFit. I would put some timestamps in here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll throw some timestamps in. If you want to skip us reliving all the CrossFit glory days, then yeah, 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 get yeah, the yeah. stuff here. Um, 
moving forward, we're going to do this again. Um, I don't know if we'll do a meet the coach episode next. We'll probably do, I was thinking just like a general training talk um, with some things, just like general training best practices. Like even I was thinking about today, like talking about who should be wearing wrist wraps in the gym and for what should you be wearing them yeah. for? Like yes. overhead squats is a good day to maybe have the wrist wraps on, yeah. you know? If, if you guys have any, if the members have any topics they want to hear about, yeah. please let us know because we can, I mean, I can talk forever about a lot of things. Yeah. And nobody comes ask me. So I'm assuming you guys just know everything and you don't want to, you know, I'm assuming yeah. that. So yeah, which is bad. <laughs> not, not that you don't want to hear me talk. Cause I know you guys want to hear me talk. You just know everything. So. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing. We don't want to spend this, the, this kind of time talking in class mm -hmm. because we can't. And, uh, but we know some of you may want to hear more from us. This is another reason why we're doing this. So yeah. give us some feedback. Let us know what you guys think. Um, I, and like Sam said, topics, questions, things that you want to hear uh, going forward. Just let us know. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, guys.